seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 17, reading from our text, verse 8. Verse 8, And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Especially the words, they saw no man save Jesus only. The transfiguration of our Lord is recorded by Matthew here, is also recorded by Mark and by Luke. John does not mention it. Mark was John's, was Peter's scribe, and so no doubt from him he received what had happened on the mount here. They were forbidden until the Lord had risen from the dead to speak of what things that they had seen and heard on the mount. But we have three witnesses that God chose to bring here, Peter, James and his brother John. And those three witnesses... There's three occasions and others with others around them as well, but with these three that the Lord chose to be witnesses of things that he did. The raising of the ruler of the synagogue's daughter from uh, death uh, was done, recorded in Mark uh, chapter 5, verse 37. In fact, Mark, he records all three of the times. The second time was the one that we have before us. is recorded in Matthew, but Mark, it is chapter 9. And then we have the Garden of Gethsemane, where the Lord chose these same three disciples to witness his agony there, his prayer to the Father, the strengthening of angels, the sweating of great drops of blood, as he was pressed down with the weight of his people's sin. And we see the contrast of what they were brought to witness, how the Lord was able to raise the dead, how the Lord was shown such great majesty and so exalted before them here in the transfiguration and then so humbled and pressed down with the weight of his people's sin. Father, if it be possible, let this come pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And in seeing the Lord Jesus Christ in these different situations, or different experiences, is a reminder to us, isn't it, with God's dear children. We are told in the word, they that have no changes fear not God. And our Lord Jesus Christ had those changes, had those things that he passed through. We read in Peter of those that, if need be, ye are now in heaviness through manifold temptations. And may we even expect to have those changes in our experience, not always on the mount, sometimes in the depths, sometimes in great trials, sometimes with blessings in our souls and sometimes feeling like Job, oh, that I knew where I might find him. 
But the Lord chose these three to be witnesses of these events and now they are recorded before us. And I specifically want to just dwell upon two main points. Firstly, the experience and Peter's telling of it, especially in his epistle, his second epistle. And then secondly, the real words of our text, no man but Jesus only. And to look at several points under that heading. But firstly, we have the experience that is set before us here. As is usual, there are some things that are left out in some accounts and then included in others. Luke tells us that they went up the mountain to pray and it was while the Lord was in prayer that he was transfigured before them. Here, we are told that they went up into the mountain apart and then we have the chain of events that is recorded. The transfiguration. His face did shine as the sun, his raiment was white as the light. Then we have those that were appearing with him and talking with him, Moses and Elias. Moses representing the law and Elias representing the prophets. Luke tells us what they were speaking of. They were speaking of his decease that he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Then we have uh, Peter's proposal of making the three tabernacles, one for each of them. That, of course, was spoken. He did not know what to say. We were told that he knew not what he said. But it's something we refer to later on because that which is written, it is written for our learning and it highlights uh, things of which we should really take note. Then we have the Father's voice in verse 5 from heaven. While he yet spake, that is while Peter spake, behold a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And the effect that it had upon the disciples is a vital thing for us whenever There is a revelation of God. Whenever the Lord speaks, it will have an effect upon the people of God. When we read in the book of Daniel, wherever we have the godly and the Lord appears to them, it has an effect. And with Daniel, he was prostrated before the Lord, no strength, no comeliness left in him. Those that think they can appear before God and be unaffected and not be uh, terrified really at the presence of Almighty God, have these accounts to remind them of even with the Lord, when the majesty was upon him, you think of when he rose from the dead, they were terrified and affrighted, supposed that they had seen a spirit. It is not a case of just a familiarity and in the presence of God, uh, to, to, to not have the fears. But our Lord allayed those fears and that is recorded 
In verse 7, Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And it is then that they lift up their eyes and they see our Lord speaking to them. They see no man. They do not see Moses anymore. They do not see Elias, Elijah anymore. They see Jesus only. And this then is the, the brief experience that they had here, the vision. Our Lord says to them that they should tell the vision uh, to no man until he rose from the dead. Now what does Peter, when Peter writes to the scattered tribes in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 16 to 21, Peter refers to what this happened and really these are the things that remained with Peter and the lesson that he would convey to us. And we'll read those verses from verse 16 of 2 Peter uh, chapter uh, chapter 1. Uh, for we, he says from verse 16, have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honour and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. And then he says this, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so Peter conveys to us here that vision upon the mount, it was the most blessed vision. He is able to convey what they saw and the majesty of our Lord. But he does not hold it up as a standard that the people of God must attain to. He does not say, if you are to be blessed, if you are to uh, truly be the Lord's people, you will see the Lord in such a vision and in such a way. He's not setting it before us in that way. He's putting as a more sure word of prophecy all the word of God, the whole scriptures of truth. He says it's more sure than these visions and revelations. And in this word we have a very similar account with the Apostle Paul when he was caught up into the third heavens and he heard things that were unspeakable to utter. And he says as well uh, that the Lord gave him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him, lest he be lifted up with the abundance 
of the revelations. And in that account, he says that the grace that the Lord gave him to bear that thorn in the flesh, that was worth more to him than all the revelations. Much rather then will I glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When I am weak, then am I strong. And he's in a very similar vein. He's going and rehearsing what had happened, what he'd seen, but he's not saying to the people of God, now this is a standard, you aim for this, you ask for this at all. He's contrasting that with grace. And here Peter is contrasting with the word of God. And it's very interesting with our Lord and that first day of the week as he rose from the dead and spoke to the two on the way to Emmaus, it was in all the scriptures concerning himself and their heart burned within them as he spoke to them by the way. The word that he said to uh, the rich man, in the case of rich man and Lazarus, when he supposed that if one rose from the dead, if Lazarus rose from the dead and appeared to his brethren, that they would believe then. And the Lord said, no, they will not believe. They have Moses and the prophets. If they believe not them, neither will they believe, though one rose from the dead. And indeed the Lord did rise from the dead and it didn't bring any to bleed, but those that were convicted by the Spirit, those that were brought to believe, as many as were ordained unto eternal life, believed. The Lord certainly giving it as that abundant evidence that God has raised him from the dead, but many, many saw it and many did not believe. In fact, conspired to hide what they had been witnesses of. And so Peter tells us as well, of the scriptures, no private interpretation. In other words, it's not man putting his own construction on it. It is God's word, God's message to man, and that that is the, the, the one message. It's not going to be interpreted by one as this and the other as something else. Comparing scripture to scripture, we seek to know what God's message, God's word is unto us. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so this then is how Peter uh, takes the uh, vision that he had and really he would say, here is the scriptures and here is the majesty, the glory, the blessedness of Christ running right through the pages of scripture and whether he is seen in Isaiah 53 in all his sufferings or in the Garden of Gethsemane, whether he is being derided by the multitude, whether they are mocking him as upon the cross, he is uh, the one that was so uh, blessed by his Father, so exalted and so praised. And so the vision here for Peter it had the effect of lifting up Christ, making him most precious. And in his word, Christ is precious. And maybe wherever we read in the word of God, where is he? 
Where is the Lord? And many times we could read the Psalms and we read them and it's got David over the top. But maybe as we read it and... Uh, Mr. Hawker is, is one that some have said, well, he'll find Christ where even Christ is not. But he loves to find Christ in the scriptures. And oft times he says of the Psalms, this is not David. This is Christ from beginning to end. Psalm 40, Psalm 22, Psalm 16, Psalm 110 is all speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ in all the scriptures. And so, may it be true of what our thanks, Jesus, only as we look at the scriptures, that there are the types, there are the shadows, there are those that spake of him, and we are to look for him in all those types, and in all the writings of the scriptures of truth. But I want to then uh, notice, uh, secondly, there no man but Jesus only. Coming back to uh, the passage where our text is. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. When I first notice the harmony of Christ with Moses and the prophets. There were many that accused our Lord in his day that he came to destroy Moses. They viewed him as being at odds with and contrary to Moses. Remember the Pharisees said to the man that had been born blind and given his sight Thou art his disciple, we are Moses' disciple. And they put a difference, would run a wedge between Moses and the Lord, as if the Lord was coming to take away their nation, to take away their law. But our Lord testified that he came not to destroy the law, but to fulfil it. And indeed the law of God spoke and made provision for our Lord. And it's very telling, especially what Luke says, that which they were speaking of one to another. You know, if we had three people speaking together on one subject, and it speaks here of complete harmony, so they're all in agreement on this. They're speaking of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem, he should accomplish why he said, No man taketh my life from me, I lay it down of myself, I have power to lay it down, I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. It is what he was accomplishing. Peter says in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, he who was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and my wicked hands crucified and slain. He charges the guilt of their crucifying the Lord of life and glory upon them. But he points out that it was by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God 
They did what was before determined to be done and what was foretold to be done. And so when we have the one subject that was spoken by Moses and by Elias and by a Lord, they're all centering in one subject, in one place, and one place at Calvary. It's not surprising as like this evening and observing the Lord's Supper, we show forth the Lord's death till he come. And it was at the death of our Lord in the offering of that sacrifice that the sins of all the people of God were put away. It laid on him the iniquity of us all. From Abel right to the last one of God's children that shall be called, their sins were all put away at the same time, in the same place, by the same precious Jesus, by the same blood, in the same manner. When we, when we sit round the Lord's table, there's absolutely no difference between any one of the people of God. Experience, yes, one might be called when they're young, another might be called when they're old, one in this manner, one in another manner, uh, one a long time under the law as a schoolmaster, another one quickly brought to faith and assurance. Many, many different experiences of the call of God by grace and of his quickening, but as to where and when that sin was put away and the offering acceptable unto God, they are united as one. All could join on that Mount of Transfiguration and say that we bless God for what was accomplished at Jerusalem. His decease, his laying down his life, his obedience unto death, even the death of the cross, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. And so when you think on the mount here, here he is exalted, he is lifted up, he is magnified, and his father says, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And the very subject, what they are speaking of, is they are pointing to Calvary. And it is through the cross that then he is exalted and lifted up. Paul in his preaching, he says, I determine to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. People could understand the glory, the majesty, the, the light, the voice that is spoken here in the mount much more than they could when they look upon the suffering. Lamb of God. But the word says they shall look upon him whom they pierce. They shall mourn for him and be in bitterness for him. But there he accomplished and fulfilled their promise. The seed of the woman should bruise the serpent's head and he shall bruise thy heel. And that was what was being accomplished. And so with the three together, there is a complete harmony. May we always think about that. As we read the scriptures, as we read the law and all the laws of Israel, and as we read the prophets and all of the prophets, may we think that there is always a complete harmony between them all and the Lord and that which he was accomplished at Jerusalem. We, can, we look for, for that being pointed to 
at every time. We mentioned it this morning regarding Abraham and Isaac. And we, we, we see it uh, right through. We see it even with David. When David's son must die, David had sinned in murder and uh, adultery. And the Lord said his son should die. And however much he prostrated his self on the ground, God would not change that. That son died. And then when he died, David rose up and he, he, he uh, washed, cleansed, and he ate. And the, his servants, they said, what is this? He says, he shall not come to me. I shall go to him. That son never put away David's sin. But David, I believe, could see past that to his greater son. And as the Lord said, David says in the Psalms that my Lord said unto thy Lord, sit thou at my right hand till thine enemies be made thy footstool. And our Lord uh, was set forth as before David. The, the Jews, they couldn't answer that. If David called him his son, how is he then his Lord? And they could not answer. But we see and expect to see. Those dear saints could see through the things that happened to them. When David later on, he was told of the kingdom of Solomon and what his should be, a peaceful kingdom, a kingdom, a great kingdom, Things that are spoken of Solomon that could never fully be ascribed or set forth to a man. And he says, is this the manner of man, O Lord God? In other words, is this the manner, is this a picture of the coming Messiah? Is this the picture of the Christ? All the time they were looking, when Solomon dedicated the temple and he said, the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, much less this house that I have builded, but will God in very deed dwell upon the earth? How he had an eye all the time to, to these promises that the tabernacle, the temple, setting forth the Lord. The Lord spoke of the temple of his body, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. And... They thought he meant the literal temple. They said, it's impossible. How long it took to build that? Will they raise it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. And we get this picture again, right through the scriptures. We have it in the uh, law of God. The broken tables of the law, because of the people's sin, thrown to the bottom of the mount. And then the law is rewritten. And the completed tables, they are put in the ark, a beautiful type of Christ, fulfilling the law and kept there for the children of Israel to always remember the completed law is fulfilled by Christ and Christ alone. The Lord came not to destroy but to fulfil. And at the time of his death, again and again it is written that the scriptures might be Fulfilled, And of course the scriptures are the law and the prophets. And they are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus only. So then 
when they had seen that vision, the cloud was lifted up, and after they'd heard the Father's voice, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. Then we find with the words of our text, they only see the Lord. Not to be three tabernacles, not three, not even one on the earth, but the Lord Jesus only. We read in Hebrews, we see not yet all things put under his feet, but we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honour. And it is a blessed thing to see by faith in these gospel days the Lord Jesus Christ and to see how the scriptures point to him above the law, above the prophets. And you know, Peter, uh, Paul, when he spoke to the Galatians and Galatians who are wanting to go back under the law and insist that they be circumcised and keep the law if they were to be saved. And he realised the, the error and he was so adamant that if they were to uh, keep the law then they were not saved by grace. It was either Jesus only. It wasn't Jesus and Moses and the prophets. It was Jesus only. And so this message is, is very clearly put to us to centre our hopes, our affections, our fulfilling of all the scriptures centering in the Lord Jesus Christ. In this account also we have set forth in Jesus only the majesty of Christ. How high he was lifted up. In Isaiah we read, By nature there is no beauty in him, he is a root out of a dry ground. And yet here we see him so exalted and so lifted up. And I know we said not to covet such a vision as this, but what we should desire of the Lord and pray that the Lord would give us is those high views of the majesty of Christ, that we think highly of him. Unto you which believe, he is precious, and he is high and lifted up, and he always be to those whom the Spirit receives of the things of Jesus and reveals them unto us, he will always be full of majesty and greatness and power. Jesus exalted at the Father's right hand. Then we have the supremacy of Christ. He is supreme in the Church of God. And with Moses, with Elias, we have Christ lifted up. Peter would put them all on one level. See, three tabernacles, made them all the same, as if they're all the same. No, they're not the same, Peter. Our Lord is supreme. He stands unique. He stands different than any. He is the fulfiller. He is those that they spake of, those that they pointed to. It's hard for us, perhaps, to really 
enter into how what a stumbling block this was for the Jews. They followed after Moses, they held to the tradition of the fathers, adding much more to it than what was in the law, uh, teaching for commandments, the traditions of men. But for them to lay aside that and to cling to Christ and see Christ was supreme over all was a very hard thing. A lot of the message of Paul to the Hebrews is in this way, in which he is comparing the Old Testament and Christ. He is setting forth of those countless offerings of the blood of bulls and of goats, which shall never take away sin, but this man with one offering hath perfected for ever them that are sanctified. And again and again he is uh, doing that comparison and lifting up our Lord as supreme above all that had gone before. But this would have been hard for those Jews. He saw a man, a real man, a man with no beauty that should desire him, a man that they could say that his father and mother we know, his brethren are with us, and we read that even his brethren, uh, at first that they did not believe him. And that must have been a real stumbling block, a real difficult thing for them. And it is not by nature we see a beauty in Christ. It is not by nature that we see him high and lifted up. But it is the Spirit's work to do so. It is one one mark that the Lord gives for his people that they see in the Lord Jesus Christ through the word. They see his majesty. They see his supremacy. They see his preciousness. It makes them value the word and it makes Christ precious to them. The other effect, and I mentioned concerning this word, Jesus only, it counters the fear of man. The fear of man bringeth a snare. And in our day, and really in every generation, those that have followed after Christ have suffered persecution. The Lord says in John 17, I've given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. If the word of God was not containing Christ, the world wouldn't hate that word and those that follow after the word. But where the people of God have the word that sets forth our Lord and his sufferings, the world hates that. Satan hates that. Our Lord used the scriptures to rebuff Satan in his temptations. Satan tried to imitate it and use scripture to tempt our Lord. But our Lord rebuffed him by comparing scripture with scripture. It is written again. And may we not be ashamed of the word of God that liveth and abideth forever and that sets forth our Lord, the written and incarnate word in all things are the same. And maybe then that if there are those with us this evening who have the fear of man, you see man, he's a stumbling block, he hinders you, it keeps you back from walking in the Lord's ways, it keeps you in bondage, 
when we see no man but Jesus only, then that takes away the fear of man. What is man? The Lord Jesus Christ. He has come. He is supreme. And what is poor man? Our Lord has come to set his dear people free and free from the fear of man, free from that snare and to have those to follow him only. It may seem a strange thing to us, this wonderful account. Peter, one of these witnesses, he denied his Lord three times. You think, how can that happen? And may that be a help to you and I when we feel what we are, how we can deny our Lord too, how we can fear man. That's what Peter did. You know, he saw the maid, he saw those that were there and he denied the Lord. I never knew him. And that was after this. But the Lord said, I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. The strength, the blessing is in the Lord and not in ourselves. However much great blessings we've had, great helps we've had, we have not got power to retain them or to keep the blessing and savour of them, but the Lord can keep it for us. And those blessings that come from the Lord, he is the author and finisher of our faith. And like with Peter, he restored him, he kept him, and that is a, another reason of hope for us and help that we might not uh, fear lest we cast away all, lest we make shipwreck because our trust is not in ourselves. It's not in keeping ourselves. Peter thought it was. Though all men forsake thee, yet will not I. But he had to prove that he needed the Lord to keep his soul and to keep the Lord Jesus Christ precious to him. And so he would not deny him. And of course the Lord, he said to Peter, when thou art converted, when thou art the restored, strengthen thy brethren. And in Peter's epistles and the portion we've read, that is just what he's doing, strengthening the brethren or may we be strengthened, and may we also have this blessed view of the Lord in all the scriptures, Jesus only, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. May the Lord add his blessing. Amen.